0: Well, thank you. As you notice, I'm not Wayne. Um, He has given me this special opportunity to preach. And when he gave me the the options of what days, I looked and saw that this was Father's Day. And I thought, well, you know, maybe he would enjoy a day off on Father's Day. Um, But we are grateful for all the fathers. And I just want to say to you as well, happy Resurrection Day, because every Sunday is a Sunday where we have renewed hope in the resurrection. Was that me? Okay, just making sure. All right. (laughs) We have renewed hope in the resurrection of Christ, and so I'm grateful for that as well. Wayne started a series last week on 1 John, and so there's lots of themes that swirl around again and again. We're not going to try to be too redundant, but there's the themes of light and love and the theme of if you have sinned, then this is the way that you can repair that. There's this theme of children of God that comes up again and again. And so I invite you to open your copy of Scripture to 1 John. We'll be in chapter 2 in verses 1 through 6. And if you don't have your own Bible with you, there's a pew Bible there. And it's on page 862. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Or as the ESV states, we have an advocate before the Father. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, the righteous one. And not only for our sins. But for the sins of the whole world, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you have ever been in a growth group with me or a Sunday morning Bible study, you know that I am a big fan of the get-to-know-you question. Some of you are rolling your eyes. You're like, yeah, we know. Well, one of my favorite get-to-know-you questions is, what is one of your nicknames or titles that you've been given in life. You know, you can kind of learn a lot about people through their nicknames or their titles. For example, my cousin, um, she calls all the sweet little children in our family Sugar. Or we have a, a, a little guy on the, the baseball team that's named Sammy Slammy. I bet you can guess what he can do, right? There's these ideas of having nicknames. Um, I, was, I didn't have the nerve to do this in the traditional service, but I'm going to see if you guys will just turn to the person beside you and ask them what is one of your nicknames, if you have one, and if not, maybe a title, are you a teacher, are you a coach, are you a specialist, Any, anything like that. So on your mark, get set, go. And if you're not beside someone, imagine the person beside you and tell them what your nickname is. Or shout it across the hall. Okay. Did you find out some interesting things? Yeah? What were some of the nicknames? Chloe Glow-Glow. She glows. Gloria glows. Anybody else? I had this wonderful email conversation with Mr. Richard Adams this week. Does anybody know Mr. Adam's nickname? Brett in the back. That's her dad. Pokey. I had it conjured up in my mind that Pokey got his name because he was poking along behind his parents and they called him Pokey. But the truth of the matter is not as interesting. He doesn't know how he got his name. His father probably gave it to him but we don't know. And, and I, I just, you know, had my own ideas. Because oftentimes, the name does say something about the character. Now, he does love the nickname that his grandchildren call him, which is Pop. Is that correct? And he told me he loved to be called Pop because his dad and his granddad were both a Pop. And his grandchildren never met those pops. And so it's just like this, this um, lineage kind of thing. It has meaning. Well, in the scripture today that I read, did you catch there are three nicknames or titles, attributes, if you will, of our Lord Christ. Okay, they're found in the second part of verse 1 and verse 2. So look back with me. Middle of verse 1. But... If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, or as it says in the ESV, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the what? Atoning sacrifice. I'm going to really love it if y'all talk back. So what are the three nicknames that we have? First is an advocate or defense. Second is what? Righteous one. And the third one? Atoning sacrifice, that's right. I'm just going to break down these three different names for us to start, okay? So I've been thinking about what an advocate is this week. Um, I had so many people, because they know I get nervous up here, saying, I'm praying for you. They were advocating to the Father on my behalf. Uh, Or you think about a job or some kind of organization, and someone put your name out there and said, I think this person would be good. That is advocating. Or when one of my children says of the other, please, Mom, let them get out of time, out. Uh, You know, these are all forms of advocating. But our Lord Jesus, when he advocates for us, it's not as if he is saying to the Father, please, Father, give them another chance. Next time they'll do better. It's not based on our character, It's based on what the Lord and his character says about him. So that he comes before the Father and he says, I am the defendant of Mary. And I stand here not because Mary is worthy. She's a sinner in need of grace. But because I, the righteous one, have come and I bear her name. Now, if you're taken to court and you are before the judge, you have somebody to defend you. It's called a defense attorney, correct? And what do you look like before the judge? You look like your attorney, right? If your attorney is smart, then you're going to look pretty smart. If your attorney is eloquent, you look pretty eloquent. If your attorney is not smart and not eloquent, what do you look like? The same, right? Imagine how we look behind our Lord and Savior. He is our advocate. He, he, by his character, we can come before God the Father. There's this story in John chapter 8 that I love that teaches us about advocacy. You remember the story where the Pharisees bring a woman caught in adultery before Jesus in the temple courts? And they say, the law says you're supposed to stone her. And what does Jesus do? It's weird. He stoops down. He starts writing in the ground. I'm like, what is he writing? I don't know. He started writing in the ground. And then he stood up and he advocated for her, not based on her character, based on his, his, his ability to see the hearts and the minds of the people. He said, the one who has never sinned, throw the first stone. You remember what they did? From the oldest to the youngest, they walked away. And he looked her in the eye and he said, Where are the people who condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. But go and leave your life of sin. Our Lord advocates for us before the Father. But there is someone who accuses us, right? The evil one seeks to devour each of us. That's why I think John is reminding us, hey, when you do sin, as you will, remember, you can come back to the Father. Confess, and I will be your defense. Now, the reason why he can be our defense is in the next title. Can you imagine someone giving you the nickname Righteous One? be pretty cool, right? I'm pretty righteous. Now, um, the righteous title is throughout Scripture, but there's two times in Acts where Jesus is called the righteous one. Once it's when Stephen, who is the first martyr, is about to be stoned, and he calls our Lord the righteous one. And then there's this story, you remember, where Paul is on the road to Damascus and he gets blinded? Who, who restored his sight at God's command? Remember, it starts with an A. Ananias, and Ananias uses that same title for Jesus, the righteous one. Now, when I think about righteous, I kind of think about someone really saintly. Who do you think about when you hear the word righteous besides Jesus? Maybe Mother Teresa, someone like that, that they did a lot of righteous things. But there's a little bit of a difference with Jesus, a lot of difference, actually. Jesus is the only one who never sinned. Never, ever, ever sinned, and always did what God asked him to do. Think back to the series on Abraham. Remember when we talked about righteousness with Abraham? What made him righteous? Was it all the things that he did, right? It was his faith and trust in a God who would provide. And we see that most clearly in our Lord Jesus. Remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he didn't want to have to go to the cross, it seems. He says, Lord, if you can take this cup from me, take it. But not what I will, what you will. He perfectly trusted in God, and that was his righteousness. He had the power of the indestructible life, as it says in Hebrews chapter 17. Okay, so we've got the advocate, we've got the righteous one. These are beautiful titles of our Lord. And then we have the atoning sacrifice. Give me a second. Let me get some water. (coughs) Now, I was trying to think this week about a picture of atonement because I think in pictures. And the closest thing that I could think about maybe was giving blood. Have any of y'all ever given blood at the Red Cross? Did they call you yesterday? They called me yesterday. Tried to sign me up for another appointment. Um, when you give blood, what happens? Somebody They take your blood out and they give it to another person so that that person can thrive. Right? So hopefully that they can live. And it's a small picture of what atonement does. Now, it's not a full picture. It doesn't fully encompass what an atoning sacrifice is. When we look back to the Old Testament, God graciously gave us the picture of um, atonement through the sacrifice of an animal. We've been going through this in Project 119 recently. And when you sinned, you would bring a lamb or a ram from your flock. And it couldn't be the runt. It couldn't be one that had all the spots, and you could— you know, throw them away anyway. It had to be a perfect spotless lamb. It had to cost you something. And when you brought the lamb before the priests in the tabernacle or the temple, do you know what you had to do? You put your hand on the head of the lamb. And it was like you were transferring the guilt of sin from you to this lamb. And the lamb would die to give us a symbol, a picture of the costliness of sin. That our sins, the conglomerate of our sins, it pervades the world and it, it brings disunity and it, it causes so much pain. So, this is a picture of what um, happens when we need atonement for sin. Something else has to die in order. That we might live. And this is the p- perfect picture of Jesus our Lord, who became the atoning sacrifice. Have you ever heard our Lord Jesus called the spotless lamb? He was the one who went to the cross willingly and he died so that we might live. But in the Old Testament, when the lamb died, they did not rise back from the dead. But our Lord Jesus, on the other hand, when he died a sacrificial death on our behalf for our sins, three days later, the hope of the gospel is that he was resurrected from the dead. His body was without blemish. He was righteous. He advocated for us in our sin. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this is our confidence, y'all. This is our confidence. We have an advocate before the Father when the accuser comes to attack us. We have the righteous one who says in Scripture, and I think it's 2 Corinthians five twenty-one, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So we are given his righteousness, And we are atoned, our sin is atoned for. So the passage goes on in verse 3 to tell us that Jesus did this on our behalf and also on behalf of the whole world. Look at verse 3. We know that we have come, no, verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, think of that hymn that says, Jesus paid the debt he did not owe. I owe a debt I could not pay. Now, out of love for us, Jesus did all of this. It gives a robust picture of who he is. And so then John says, now in light of what Jesus has done, we need to obey his commandments. He kind of reiterates the point three times in three different ways. He said we need to obey his commands. We need to obey his word, and we need to walk as Jesus walked. Now, when we think about obedience to the Lord, we find his commands and who he is in Scripture. And so we turn to Scripture to have our guide for how to obey. But if we pull back on obedience and try to figure out, well, what does it even mean to obey? I am leaning on Tim Keller for this illustration, but he gives a good illustration of what it means to obey in the physical fitness realm and then what it means to obey in the moral realm, okay? So for physical fitness, um, if you want to live a healthy lifestyle and you want to be fit, then you're going to cross your will when you want to do other things. For example, okay, in the morning at 5 a.m., When Wayne gets up to work out, and I want to get up to work out, okay? I'm sitting in bed, and it's so comfortable, but I think, man, I was up late last night. I really don't know if I can get up to work out. But Tim Keller would say, obedience is willingness to cross the will. So I have to say in my mind, you know what? I will that I lay in bed here, but I'm going to cross that, and I'm going to get up. Because I know that if I exercise, this is going to bring physical fitness and freedom. Now, also as it relates to food, right? This week, May, our daughter, said, I want to eat a cupcake for breakfast. And I said, no, eat the cinnamon toast crunch instead. Yeah, that was, I got to get better at breakfast. But you and I both know the idea, right? Wayne and I are on this no-fried-foods kind of pact. And I went to Chick-fil-A yesterday. Not a lot of options. When you're crossing your will at Chick-fil-A and you're saying, I'm not going to eat fried foods. I want to do better. I want to have a healthy body so that I can stay sustained. And Tim Keller even laughs with his congregation about the fact that oftentimes we pay people to cross our will. They're called trainers. And trainers will say, yeah, I know you don't want to do another push-up, but do it. Cross your will so that you can have freedom in the physical realm. So what is obedience? The willingness to have your will crossed. And this is fine and well in the physical realm. We understand this when it comes to our physical fitness. But when it comes to God's word, he says, in light of who God is in Jesus the Christ, I am calling you to obey his commands. And we say, wait a minute, nobody tells me what to do. You're not going to cross my will. I don't understand why he would want me to do these things. For example, Christ calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Goodness, it takes a cross of the will to believe. That God's way is better than my way. But obedience is what then shows the world what God is like. And that's why it's so important to John that we live lives of obedience so that the world might know what Christ is like. Even when we do not understand even when it is inconvenient, and even when every bone in our body wants to do something other than follow God's commands. Christians, we're called to obey. So, just like making decisions against our will in the physical health and freedom realm is good, we also might have to make decisions that are against our will, but that are pleasing to God, Because we are trusting that he knows better. And because as believers, we're called to follow him. Now, I want you to turn over to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. And I know I'm encroaching on Wayne's um, next couple of sermons probably. But the themes in John are um, cyclical. And he comes back again and again and again to the same themes. But here in 1 John chapter 3, John is reminding us that as believers who obey our Lord, we have been given a new name or a nickname, if you will. Look at verse 1. How great is the love of the Father that he has lavished on us that we should be called, what is it? Children of God. We have a new name. When we follow our Lord Christ, we become children of God. And as children of the Most High God, we are called to represent the Father in this world. We live as children of light and not of darkness. We live as those who love and do not hate. Have you ever met people who are related and you know immediately that they're related? Why do you know? What are some reasons? They look alike, right? Or um, they have the same mannerisms or something. Or also perhaps like Wayne and dad. If you've never met Wayne's dad, but you see them both walking down the street, you know. Like they've got that same cadence. They're like in step with one another. That's what John's saying here. Okay, we are children. We should look like the Father. We should walk like the Father. We should be in step with the Father. All right, so what do we do with what we've learned about who God is? First, if you don't know Jesus as Lord, is you don't know that he is your advocate before the Father when the accuser comes again and again to remind you of your guilt and your shame. I just ask you to call out to him either for the first time or the 21st time. Remind yourself that he is our defender and it is because of his righteousness that we have been made clean. And then if you've already placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, just contemplate what it means to be a part of the family. Is our love for the Lord reciprocal to what he has done for us? Um, do we love what he loves? Are we growing to hate what he hates? Are we excited about the things that he, give him great joy? Are we allowing him to cross our will even when it's hard? But because we know that ultimate joy is in trusting his will. Today, I just encourage you all, you are children of God. He is our Father, and we have such hope knowing that. And so I just pray that he will continually conform us into his image. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. From it, we can be reminded of your character that you are our advocate. You are the only righteous one, and yet you give us your righteousness so that we can be in relationship with God the Father. And you were the sacrificial lamb. Lord, you were the atoning sacrifice for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. And so we pray even now, Lord, that you would help us to live in a way that is obedient to your word. Lord, don't allow this message to be one that piles on the guilt. Yeah, I know I need to live better. Instead, Lord, help us to turn to you and remember your love and help us this week just to to seek out relationship with you in a deeper way. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.